I want to share with you the journey, the Christian journey, and the three stages of this journey. There are three stages of life according to the Bible. This is based on some studies that were done by some theologians. And what I discovered was that these three stages of life reflect the three stages in the Bible. It's a journey that we are all on. And the three basic stages are the Torah stage, this is what I call them, the Torah stage, the prophets stage, and then the wisdom stage. When you think of the Torah, what do you think of? Law, yeah. Which, which part? First five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And when you think of the Torah, what's the image? What's the picture that you think of when you think of Torah? The structure and philosophy and what, what have you. Correct. Torah gives you procedure. It gives you boundaries. It gives you discipline. Torah creates a framework where we can live by. Now, what's interesting when you think of the Israelites, they came out of Egypt and they were in bondage. And when they came out of this, this messy, this, this broken, this dysfunctional environment, God needed to retrain them. He needed to create something new. Imagine a child who is in a dysfunctional home or a, or a foster kid or a kid who's been abused. Israel was that abused kid when they were in Egypt. And God needed to take them on this journey and reframe them. And what's the first thing you do with a kid who's been abused? You protect them. You, send, you surround them with love. You give them the basic needs, food, water, shelter, okay, manna, water. God was there to look after them. You give them some principles, you give them some laws, you know, don't do this, do that, you know. It's, it's usual when you, when you have a kid that's rambunctious or that's, that's troubled, you want to create a safe haven for that person. And what this does is that for that child, or I'm using the example of the child and the children of Israel, what that does is create a sense of security and belonging and to be part of a tribe. Yeah? And the other thing it does in that individual, it gives that individual a chance to grow, a chance to find confidence, self-esteem, self-worth. This child, this church, this community starts to rediscover who they are. So this stage of the Torah is important, as you said. It's an important part of life and the life journey. And without it, we sometimes can end up in all over the places within our life. It's a very important stage. I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've learned along this journey with each stage. So I'm just going to focus on the Torah stage first. First thing you learn is boundaries, clear boundaries, and the idea of right and wrong. It's a kind of black and white stage. It's either this way or this way. And you know when you have kids, those of you who have kids or who are surrounded by youth, you know what they're like. Very idealistic. No, Dad, it's this way or it's that way. Now, those of us who are older, we see things a little bit more, there's more messiness to life. We've moved on, we've, we've lived. But when you're young, you know, I've got a 19-year-old, and oh my goodness, 
you can't, you can't reason with him. It's either this way or it's this way. There is no middle ground. But it's important that he goes through this stage and that he learns that. So the first thing it does, it gives you confidence. And let's, let's turn to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. I'll just share a couple of Bible texts with you guys as we go through this, this very short and quick journey, this overview of how the Bible is this handbook that we can trust for our journey in life. Philippians 1.6. I'll read it on my um, holy device. So if you've got your holy screens, just pull those out. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to bring us confidence. He wants to accept us. He wants us to feel that we're part of a tribe, part of something unique, something special. And that's what you have here. You've got a beautiful tribe here. You have a beautiful community here. I love Matt and, and everything that you do, and I love how you think and how you speak, and that is reflected in the community that you have here, Matt. You know, and I really appreciate that. And I am so glad that I can come on a Sunday and get a double blessing. Sometimes I come here and I get a triple blessing. So I really appreciate that. The other thing that happens is that you learn self-respect at this stage, the Torah stage. It's not just the confidence, but self-respect, self-worth, self-esteem. And you want to help yourself grow because you realize that you are worth something. And it takes time to learn that. Just like a child that comes from a broken home, it took time for Israel to learn that as well. The other thing is you want to surround yourself with positive people. And this is a really interesting uh, part of life, especially when you're young, because there are people in your life that will add to your life bubble. They'll add to your experience. They'll lift you up. But those of us who have lived a little bit more, who have got a few years on us, we know that there are people that just suck the life out of you, out of your life bubble. And the more time you spend with them, the more they just drain you and they suck the life out of you. And when you're young, especially when you're vulnerable at this tourist stage, you don't want to be around those people. You want to protect your young people from that influence. And didn't we see that with Israel? When Moses came down, what were they doing around a golden calf? There are people there that could not be rehabilitated. Would that be the word? And what did God have to do? He had to separate them to protect the children. And sometimes we as parents do the same thing. We separate them. So there are people that will inflate our life bubble and those that will deflate. And that's why you want good friends around you. That's why I've met as a good friend because he inflates my life bubble. He adds to my journey. He makes my journey more rich. You know, he shares his life with me. I share my life with him. We put our arms around each other and we support each other on this journey of life together. You know, what a better way to live. I can't think of a better way, can you? To support one another in that way. Let me show you Hebrews 10, 24. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is here that you want to make your good friends, 
friends for life and connect with those that you want to have on your journey. And the last one here on this in this tourist stage is to be honest. And not just to be honest, but to be yourself. But not just to be yourself, but be the best authentic version of yourself. You know, sometimes we say people just to be yourself. But sometimes you can be yourself and sometimes it's not always the best. You want to be the best authentic version of yourself. Learn to be authentic. Learn to be open. Learn to be honest. One thing I really love about um, our relationship, Matt, is that we're open, we're honest with each other. We share a lot together. And this reminds me of the Bible writers. And I think, oh my goodness, some of the things that these Bible writers write and they, they share. I mean, can you imagine your experience if you were David you know, or Bathsheba? And now, they, they don't realise this, but one day they're going to realise that for the last two and a half thousand years or more, that their story has been public all over the world. I mean, that's not, there are things I don't want to have public. And if God came to me and he goes, John, you know, this story of yours and this experience of yours, you know, this is going to help a lot of people. We want this to, have, to be public. I'll say, you know what, it's too hard. <laughs> I don't think I want that public. And I think we all have something that we don't. So honesty, I think this is, this is real something that we, especially today in this world with all the politics and everything, all the dishonesty, I think this is a, a value that, that is slowly eroding away. And it's important that we try to hold on to that and cling to that. I love that. So yeah, so that's basically, I'm just going to move very quickly because I'm the conscious of time. But Torah is that stage of learning, growing, boundaries, very black and white. But this is where you learn and learn to understand yourself. And you're part of a tribe. It's very important. I want you to really um, have that registered. The other thing is the prophet stage. That's the other stage I wanted to share with you. Now, when we think of prophets, what do you think of? And which part of the Bible do you think of? Ezekiel, yeah. And what do you think of when you think of prophets? Sorry? I love that one. Yep, calling stuff out, both good and bad, being critical, but to the point of trying to make things right. Yeah, what else? Yeah, so vision, clarity of vision. You know, sometimes we as parents have that. I know you're thinking of prophecy, but sometimes you have children, you think, son, daughter, if you continue down this path, you're a prophet, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's another one easy I've got here is that you point out the realities and the failures of life. Um, you're critical both of, well, there's the prophets in the Bible, we're critical both of the individual, like who was the guy who came to David? Who was the prophet? Nathan. Nathan. And sometimes you are critical of the whole community. And who were some of those? Jeremiah, Isaiah, yeah. So also the prophets, what they do is they reveal not just the good side of humanity, but they also reveal the dark side of humanity and sometimes the dark side of the church. And we know that the prophets revealed a lot of the dark side of the then church, especially in the Old Testament. And that's also important. So prophets are very good at revealing. The other thing is that they also... Um, that sometimes the idea of the do's and don'ts, the black and white, the right and wrong, the, the good and bad, is not always right. 
or not always clear. The prophet stage starts to get messy. You realize that there's this gray area, that things don't always go well, that relationships don't always turn out well, that things at work won't always work out well, that justice is not always served. And we see that continually. So this prophet stage is a very gray area, a very messy area. And those of us who have lived a little bit longer, we know this. Those of you who are young are probably thinking, what are you talking about? No, it's this way or it's this way. But let me ask you, those of you who have lived a bit, do you understand what I'm talking about? That gray area? Yeah. I'm in good company. Thank you. <laughs> Life is more complex. One, one area I, I, I noticed that, you know the story of Daniel when he went to um, Babylon? And I think it's in chapter 1. And he was there initially and he asked for the food that wasn't served, right? That was served to the king. And the reason was, one of the reasons was, was that the food was sacrificed to idols. He didn't want to touch that food. So Daniel had very strong principles. He says, no, I'm not going to eat that because that's something that you take to the idols, you sacrifice, I don't want any part of that. Fast forward to the time of Paul, and what you see is Paul is walking amongst Gentiles, he's going to Greece, he's going to the, some of the places of Asia Minor, and does he have an issue eating food that was sacrificed to idols? No. So which is right? Sometimes it's both. Yeah, it depends on the situation. But if you're stuck in the black and white stage, all of a sudden your head is spinning because you don't know what to do with that. But when you've matured and grown and you're in this stage, you realise, okay, sometimes it's this way, sometimes it's this way, and sometimes it's both ways. It's a messy part of life and you're trying to figure that out. And it can be a very painful journey. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the things that I've learned on this journey of, of this messy grey area is that the more I suffer and the more I go through challenges, the more I see things as, the, as, as a grey area. And the more compassionate I am to a more broader area of problems. I also find that my tribe grows in this area. Here, I, I need to be protected. I need to be um, hedged in for my, for my good reason. But now, I'm starting to grow my tribe. I'm now connecting with people that I would never have imagined. I'm here with you because I love you guys. I care for you, and I love this community. And that's thanks to my relationship to Matt. And I've been here now the second time, and I'm feeling more and more comfortable here. Maybe by the third or fourth time, I'll feel, you know, really at home. It takes time. I'm a little bit, you know, I said to my wife the other day, you know, I'm really an introvert. I'm really shy. She starts laughing. <laughs> she goes, you're not an introvert. I go, yeah, I do. I feel shy. And, and I, she goes, no, you're not shy. You're not an introvert. You're just careful, you know. You're very cautious. You're very, because I've been hurt and betrayed. And, you know, when, you, when you've gone through those experiences, you're a little bit more careful when you connect with people. But I, it's weird how you see yourself and how other people see you. It's so, so, so weird. So some of the principles we learn in this, this stage of the prophets is that before you criticise the world, set your own house in order. And this is just the basics, you know. Before you judge others, make sure that you pull the splinter out of your own eye. And the reason is because we all struggle with something. And all of us are broken in some way. None of us have got it all together. 
And this is the stage where we learn that <laughs> all of us are messed up in one way or another. And every single one of us need healing. And that's why we put our arms around the people that we can trust on this journey of life, whoever they may be. And hopefully they are people that you can trust. Hopefully it's your Christian brothers and sisters. You know. I think that's really important that we understand that. And as we understand this, this is where our tribe starts to grow. One thing I've learned in this stage is that you can't change others. Oh, this was a hard lesson. I was married probably the first year or two even, and I had this ideal of what a wife should be. You know, when you're young and you're early 20s or mid-20s and you think you know everything, because I'm here, right? Black and white. Honey, the Bible says, a Christian woman, and my wife is very independent. She's very tough. She speaks her mind. You know, and I'm very thankful for that. I've been very blessed by marrying a, a wonderful woman, a strong woman like that. And she has had a huge impact on my life. But my goodness, I was so stupid when I was young. And I tried to change her and I tried to influence, I tried to bend her will. And, I, and it just caused so many problems. I had to learn the hard way that we can't change others. But the only person I can change is myself. And I can't change Matt. Oh, Matt, I've got a whole list. But I pray every night, Lord, give me strength. <laughs> Don't worry, they do too. <laughs> it's just something we cannot do. And this is something great in this stage. And you know what? If we try to change others and we try to influence our ideas on others, what happens to us? You may have seen it to people who have tried to push their ideas on others. What happens to that person? Yes, frustrated. They can become bitter. They can become angry, you know, and they're, when they're older, you see them on their, what's that, rocking chair, you know, whittling away, get off my lawn, you know. They become bitter old people, you know, and you find people who have overcome that and they become loving, inviting, embracing people. So you can go both ways. It's really interesting. Let me share one, one little text here. Matthew 7.12, it says here, Matthew 7, 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. How coincidence. This is the law and the prophets. You like that? The other thing I've learned is learn to treat everyone with respect. And this is a tough one. And you think it's not, but it is. I'll explain why. Because treating everyone with respect is learning to love your neighbour. And you know the story about the Good Samaritan. I won't go into that because of time. But the Good Samaritan is a great example of that. And learning to love your neighbour is a great test of where we are, what stage of this journey we are at. Who is your neighbour? Is that question. You know, is it okay to hate certain neighbours? So if you were living back then, is it okay to hate the Hittites, the Amorites, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Sadducees, is it okay to hate the Gentiles, the Samaritans? Is it okay to hate a particular group? And so who is your neighbour is a question that sometimes I've, I've struggled with, especially growing up, because there were groups of people that I did not like or I did not connect, and that's because of the community that I was in. I was stuck in this stage here where the community sort of, without teaching it, but it was almost like an us and them. You know, because we have the truth, because we have the word and they don't, therefore we are right and they are wrong. 
If we are right and they are wrong, then I am righteous and they are unrighteous. If I am righteous, then I am saved and they are lost. If I am saved, righteous and lost, then I must be holy. And if I'm holy, then what are they? Evil. And that's something that that just, it's everywhere in Christianity. Not just in Christianity, it's everywhere in every religion. Think of Muslims. Think of other, other faiths that you may know. It's an us and them religion. And who is your neighbor is where it starts to break down. And so I have discovered that I can be neighbors with other Christian friends from other communities and meet with them and have lunch with them and share with them and put my arm around them and go on this journey. I have friends who are Jewish friends. I have friends that are atheist friends. I have friends that are homeless. And my tribe starts to expand a little bit more. More on that a little bit later. And the last one I have in this this stage of of the prophets is pursue what is meaningful, not always what's convenient. And this is a tough one as well because you want life to have meaning. But to have meaning, it's not easy because if you want life to be meaningful, sometimes you have to give up something for life to be meaningful. And it's very, very difficult to do that. I wanted to have more meaning in my life. And one way I did that was not to be promoted at work not to have a better career, not to have more money, so that I would have more time to do things in the community, to work with the homeless, to work with the addicts, to work with the women off the street, to work with the ladies, the mothers and the young girls who have come from abusive homes or abusive environments and they had nowhere to turn to. But to do that, I couldn't be busy at work. So I decided to stay in a work that's a little bit less intense so I can do the things that I found meaningful. And so to do something meaningful, you've got to give something up. My wife did that. My wife, bless her soul, because she has a heart of gold. I don't. I have a heart of stone. And my heart has needed to be softened and pounded down and, and broken down into pieces. And it's only because of I surround myself with people who add to my life bubble that I've gone through this change. But my wife is naturally, you know those people who are naturally loving, naturally accepting, naturally hug and embrace, and you know, don't have a prejudicial bone in their body? That's my wife. And my wife used to work for BHP, you know, company. She had a really good job. She worked for the, the head lawyer of BHP. She was the, I think, executive assistant or whatever the, the term was. She earned three times more than I did back then. But she gave that up and to have children, and she never went back to that. Now she's a teacher's aide in a local school because she wants to work with kids who struggle uh, with learning disabilities. And most of these kids, they come from broken homes. That's why they struggle. And guess what her pay is? It's a pittance. I think it pays for our food or something like that, maybe the petrol at the moment. It doesn't pay much, but she's chosen something more meaningful, and we've all sacrificed as a result of that. But she's happier. She has an impact on these kids' life. Sometimes she has an impact on the parents' life and on the teacher's life, something she would struggle with doing that in a corporate world like BHP. Although, my goodness, we would have had much more money. That would have been good. Let me um, just turn to this text, Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23, I love this one here, where Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
for you tithe in the little mint and the dill and the cumin, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. And what are they? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So pursuing what is meaningful is not always easy, but it's worth it. It really is worth it for your journey on life. All right, last one is a stage of wisdom. And what do you think of when you think of wisdom? Of course, Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, I'd say would be in there. Yeah, geez, of course, of course. And when you think of wisdom, what do you think of? Instruction, yeah. Humility, ah, yes, that's a good one. I've got that here. Um, one thing I've discovered with, in wisdom is that, let me walk over here, because this is where wisdom is. One thing I've discovered about wisdom is that there's a kind of paradox to wisdom. Wisdom is a little bit like the gray area where sometimes it's this way, sometimes it's this way, but wisdom is sometimes this way is right, sometimes this way is right, Sometimes this way is right. It's a real paradox. Do you remember the, the movie um, Fiddle on the Roof? Yeah, you young ones, you haven't seen it? You should ask your parents and watch it with them. Get some popcorn out. And what did you think? <laughs> you got to love the singing. I mean, the guy was great. He was a great actor. I can't remember his name, but the old guy, there's this old guy there. He's got a beard, and um, he's the, the hero of the movie. And there's this scene where he's, this is pre-World War, pre-Revolution, pre-Russian Revolution. It's in Russia, right? And the Jewish community. And there's one scene that he's sitting there with three of his friends. And his two friends are arguing. You know, and these are old, you know, with their beards. You know how it is. You know, the old Jewish guys. And they're arguing about something. And, and his one friend says something. And he goes, you are right. You are right. Right? And then the other guy says something. He gives his argument. And he says, you are right. And then the third guy is looking at him. He goes, how can they both be right? And he goes, you are right too. <laughs> wisdom is like that. When you're in the stage of wisdom, sometimes more than one thing can be right. And it's a real paradox. How can that be possible when here we are taught that there's this black and white, right and wrong, truth and error, it's this way or this way. Then here we start to learn that things are messy and gray and sometimes life is unfair and things happen. But here, it's a different way of thinking. It's the Jesus way of thinking. Let me share some of the experiences and some of the things that I've, I've learned on this journey. And this is by no means complete. This is just the things that I've learned. I'm sure others will add to this, all right? And I know many of you would. One of the important parts of this stage is that you start to learn that your journey, your faith journey, is no longer exclusive. In the same way that here your tribe was tight for good reasons, in here you find that your tribe is now expanding, is now further, is now growing. Guess who your tribe is here? The world. Jesus loved the world. This is where your tribe starts to push all boundaries. There are no boundaries. There is no prejudice. There is no bias. This is where you connect to 
everyone. You see everyone as a child of God. You see everyone as a son and daughter or a potential brother or sister, as in your relationship. This is where you don't have boundaries anymore. It's a tough stage to come to terms with because now your neighbours are not just your Christian neighbours, not those that, you know, who will help you out, but now your neighbours are very different. Now your neighbours are maybe the immigrants who cover themselves, who have a different language, who have different habits. Now your neighbours may be your Hindus, the Sikhs, Muslims, the addict next door, the addict that you know at work, whoever, or homeless people. Now your neighbours are the world, just like Jesus did. It's an interesting stage, and it's a tough one, and it's one that I'm learning to come to terms with. Your tribe becomes humanity. It's more about others, and it's less about you. I try to teach this to my community, and it's a tough one, because we're all selfish, self-centered, and we all want to protect our own little community and group, especially when you're in leadership. I deal with a lot of leadership, and I say to the leadership, when I visit different churches, and I say, you know, how many of your young people are involved in leadership? And some of the churches I visit, you've got the old guard. You know, there's no women, whatever. That's fine. I, I get that. There's, a, there's always this, 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 this battle there. But some of the churches I visit, you've got these old men who've been in leadership for like 30, 40 years, and they just won't let go. But when I look at the Bible, and I look at who was in leadership in the Bible, who was chosen, you're very young. How old were the disciples? What was the average age of the disciples? Late teens? Early 20? Yeah, about 18, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That was the age that Jesus chose the disciples. Think of Isaiah. Think of some of the other young ones. Um, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, Samuel, uh, David, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah. Daniel, when he came to Babylon, how old was he? Late teens. Very, very young. Timothy, another young one. So I try to encourage churches, I try to encourage groups to get your young people in leadership and for the older folk to start stepping back because you would hope that the older you get, the wiser you get, and you start to encourage and mentor and let the young people go forward. Yeah? You know what I mean? It doesn't mean... It's like, oh, a good example. My son, who, who's just trying to get his, his, um, his pee plates, I know that there will come a time where I'm going to have, have to hand the keys to him. I won't be in the car with him anymore, right? He's young. He doesn't drive well, he's he's learning, he's very scared on the road. But there will come a time I'm going to have to hand the keys over to him. I've done the training, I've done everything I can, go for it. He's my car, here are the keys, go. 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I think the best leader that you can be is a leader who serves others to let young people go forward. The other one that I learned here that I've got listed here is you are willing to learn from others. This one's a tough one. And why this is tough, it doesn't matter what stage you're in, but especially here, it's really hard to learn from others when you're here. But when you're here, you're learning now from the world. 
Because remember, your tribe is now the world. I have a friend who is Hindu. He's a great guy. He's, uh, he's in my industry that I work in. And you know what? You know, sometimes you say, what's that, what's that saying? When you meet someone, they're not a Christian, but you think they're more Christian than most Christians I know. You've heard that? I know it's weird. I've got to be careful which group I say this to because sometimes I can get stoned for this sort of stuff. But this Hindu is more Christian than most Christians I know. Do you know what I mean? He has a loving heart. He has a loving spirit. He is generous. He is giving. He will do anything for me. He's a Hindu. Where is he learning this stuff from? What's happening in his heart that he's learning this stuff? Where does that come from? And if all goodness comes from God, then what is that goodness that's happening in his heart? Where is that coming from? Is it coming from Vishnu or one of his other gods or whatever? I don't, I don't know. But I feel comfortable with him sharing my journey and my faith with him. And the irony is that sometimes he talks about his religion and I've picked up a few things you know, to make my Christian journey a more meaningful, more richer experience. And it has brought me closer to God. I don't mean Hindu teachings. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sometimes a lesson he has learned or a principle that he has learned. And that takes guts to learn, I think, from others. That's a tough one, especially if they're very, very different. I love this text where Jesus says in, in John 10, he says, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. Could that mean people who are of not the Christian community? I don't know. But look at this one, Luke 9, 49 to 50. And we're slowly winding up here. Luke 9, 49 to 50. Jesus answered and said, Master, we saw someone cast out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he does not go along with us. Okay, so he's casting out demons, but he's not in the community that Jesus is in or the disciples are in. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for he who is not against you is for you. It's a tough one. It's a tough one for us Christians. I, um, I'm reminded of the story of, uh, you know, Peter and Cornelius, right? I, I love, and you guys love this story, right? You know the story. Uh, just in quick, quick summary. So you've got Peter, he's on the, on the roof. He sees this great big, I call it a meat lover's pizza that comes out of the sky, right? This guy, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a knock on the door and it's some of Cornelius's guys, right? So they're spending the night there and next day they go off to where Cornelius lives, right? And he enters the house. I'm fast forwarding through this, as you can see. And it's a Cornelius, Roman centurion, all right? He's a pagan. Technically, he's more than a Gentile. He's, he's the dog of the dogs you know, when it comes to Israel, right? And remember, Peter had huge prejudices. Good point here is that, do you remember Pentecost? Remember that whole experience? Do you know how long it's been since Pentecost? Peter is now at Cornelius' house. Do you know how long it's been? Ten years. So ten years, Peter has been in the ministry. Thousands have been converted. Holy Spirit everywhere, right? And he's still prejudiced after 10 years. So this journey is not automatic. It takes time. So Peter still has his issues, right? Anyway, he's at the house. And um, so he figures, oh, I'm going to give them a Bible study. I've got, you know, at least what I've got prepared, about 15 Bible studies for these guys before 
you know, they can be baptised. You know how it is. What, what do you guys do? You've got a certain program you go through? Minimum of 10, there you go. <laughs> I, love this, I love this scene where Peter is there. He's starting with Bible study number one. And so Cornelius is there, his wife, his servants, the kids. It's a, it's a community. And halfway through the study, he's not even finished the first study, right? And guess what happens? You know what happens. The Holy Spirit comes down. And it comes down on all of them. How can that be? How can the whole pagan, Roman, this community where normally if you'd visit this community and you went to Jerusalem, you'd have to go through seven days of purification and shave your head. You've got a head start. You're very lucky. I'm sort of halfway there. But no, the Holy Spirit comes down on the whole household, if you read the story, not just on Cornelius. That's nuts. The other thing we learn is that things don't always go right and so always remember how God has led us. And it doesn't matter where you are on your journey, okay? But especially here, this can be a very lonely place. And we know that because when we read the stories of Jesus and the disciples, especially when they were mature and they've gone through this journey, sometimes they were lonely and they were attacked and they were uh, criticised and they tried to kill them. And it can be very disheartening, very lonely. So remember how God has taken you on this journey. It's really important. I'll just keep that one short. And the last one I've got here. Uh, take time and stop and thank God for your journey. You know, appreciate the little things. Appreciate his love. Appreciate where he's taken you and how far he's taken you. Um, there are people that I meet, and, I, and I'm sort of you know, growing in this place. Sometimes it's fluid. You're not always there, there or there. You know, sometimes you can be here and then you take two steps back because life is, it's messy, it's hard. But I meet people, older people who are still in the tourist stage, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old. And Johnny, Johnny, why aren't you like this? And why aren't you doing this? You know, you're preaching in this church. Why aren't you wearing a suit and a tie? You know, stuff like that. Oh, brother. Let me pray for you. <laughs> no, I don't say that. I say, pray for me. You know? I understand where they're at because I've been there. I've done that. I've been in that journey. And I know that sometimes when we go through life struggle, this can be the safety zone. Sometimes we need to come back to this stage just to get things right again before we can go on this journey again. We see this through the history of Israel. You see, Israel took two steps forward. Sometimes they took a step back. They sometimes took two or three steps forward and then another three or four steps back. But it was always a journey forward. And by the time you get to the New Testament church, you see a church that's open, a church that has Gentiles and Samaritans and Romans. The church changed so much that they had to change the name. And they had to call themselves. Yeah. They changed their name because it was no longer mostly Jews or ex-Jews. The church was mostly filled with Gentiles. Uh, one day if I get the chance, I'll have to share something on that. Let me have a look at this, uh, Colossians 3.15. I think it's the last text I've got here. So do have a look at this one. Colossians 3, chapter 15. I love this text. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, 
And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Be thankful for this journey that God has taken you on. Let me finish with one story. Um, one little story that I think encapsulates this, and there are many stories that came, but I'm going to use this one example, and then we'll finish. Um, you remember the story of when Mary was brought in front of Jesus, and Pharisees were there, they were accusing her of adultery? Do you remember that? In that scene, you, you have the three basic stages that I'm talking about. You have the Pharisees who see everything in black and white, right and wrong. You know, Deut Deuteronomy, I think it's 22-22, talks about adultery and Mary deserved to be stoned, right? Were they wrong? Just because they're in this stage doesn't mean they were wrong. They were right. Technically, they were right. They were stuck in this frame. Even though they were old, wise men, you know, who read their Bibles, I don't know how many hours a day, but they were stuck. And when you become stuck, what happens? You become bitter and angry. And when you look at people who are over there, you don't understand them. You can't relate to them. And they are a threat to you. That's why Jesus and later on the disciples, when they matured, they were a threat to this group because they could not get them. And then you have Mary. I'm going to place her here for a good reason. She's in this grey, messy, this prophet's stage of life. How do I know that? Because not long, I don't know what the, what the time frame is, a year or two or whatever the time frame was, you see Mary at Simon's house. Remember Simon, the Pharisee who was healed through leprosy and the disciples were there and Martha was there. And you see Mary, whether it's something she heard Jesus say, whether it was something that he shared Mary was in a frame of mind that she picked something up that nobody else did. And she realized she wanted to do something for Jesus before this horrible thing was about to happen. And she took the money that she had earned in that profession that she had. She bought the, the most expensive things. Apparently, it's really expensive. It's spitnard, whatever it was, this perfume. And she fumbled there at the feet of Jesus and wanted to anoint him. But she was nervous. She forgot the little towel. She probably spilt the bottle. She let down her hair. She wiped it up with her hair. And of course, you know the reaction of those around her, the Pharisees, uh, the disciples of Simon, who was a Pharisee, Judas and the others, and Martha, upset that she wasn't helping in the kitchen. But Mary chose the good path. She knew what she was doing. Jesus saw that. Jesus saw that there was something unique, something mature, something much more mature than these young, young disciples. She had grown. She was living in that grey, messy area. And that's why when she was there in the dirt and the Pharisees were around her and they were about to execute her because she deserved execution and she didn't see any way out, but she was already much more mature than these guys. You see, Jesus looking at this scene from this perspective. He sees the black and white, the, 
the right and wrong. The he sees this, this woman who is growing and maturing. Who, he sees the love in her heart. He sees potential in her. And you see Jesus, whose light shines through him. Just like, you know those prisms? And the light shines through the prism, and there's this, this, this spray of, of color, of potential. And he sees this, this color of potential in this beautiful person there. And of course, you know the story, he doesn't condemn her because he sees things in a different way. There's paradox in that stage of wisdom. It's a beautiful stage. I hope that as you go on this journey, that God takes you on this journey. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others. Realize that sometimes people are stuck in this stage and these people can frustrate the hell out of you especially if they're leaders in the church. But that's part of their journey. But if you can find someone in your life to put your arm around them, like Matt and others, that can support you and help you, I think it's worth it. Make your journey count. Make your religion count. Make your Christianity count. I hope, it, I hope it's worth it, you know, this journey that you're on.